Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Coaching You in the Word podcast. We hope you're doing well, having a great day. We thank you for downloading our material and studying along with us. We pray that you're blessed. We want to welcome those of you that are joining us as well through Lift Him Higher Radio, uh, through Family Fellowship Chapel. Uh, we bless all of you and pray that God is ministering great things into your life. We want to encourage you to contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's messaging. We appreciate you and do look forward to hearing from you. Today we're going to share a study looking into Romans chapter 8. The title of this message is Minding the Things of the Spirit. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we give you glory, honor, and praise for all that you're doing. I ask you to open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the Word of God is saying to us. Then let us apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. Father, we sanctify ourselves, yield ourselves, and surrender ourselves to the Spirit of God. As Jesus Christ, our man in the Godhead, speaks, may the Holy Spirit reveal truth. May we be used to dispense that truth. We give you glory in the name of Jesus Christ, our high priest, Lord, and our man in the Godhead. So, amen. So we're looking at minding the things of the Spirit. Let's look into it and see Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 6. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, in this scripture there is a great contrast between what Paul defined as the one who lives without condemnation and the one who lives in and under condemnation. As we look through the 8th chapter of Romans, we're going to identify some important information concerning how the new law of the Spirit of life is contrasted with the old law of sin and death. And This will be done through examining what Paul wrote directly to those who were not living under the condemnation and how it applies indirectly to those who are living under condemnation. The word condemnation means to be under very strong disapproval. So the contrast would be understood as being under approval, which would make us not under condemnation, or being under very strong disapproval, which would be being under condemnation. Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, I want you to notice how Paul phrases that because he begins it with the term Christ Jesus, meaning the victoriously anointed Christ who has risen, of whom he is about to speak concerning the Spirit of life that was brought forward in the resurrection of that Christ. There is a strong approval for all who are at rest by being in time, place, and state with the victoriously anointed Christ. The reason for this approval is that they go around following the way and the truth of the Spirit. These are the ones who are approved because they bring the flesh under subjection to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and there you have him speaking on what Christ accomplished in the resurrection, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now those who walk in the Spirit do so as they exercise the direction of a new law. That law is a spirit or a guidance of a new life that comes from the new birth of the Spirit that connects man to God. It is the spirit of the victoriously anointed one. He himself lived in this same spirit of connection to the Father. Now in contrast to that, there is another law that took over of which we saw and read about in Genesis chapter 3. Man gave away his spiritual relationship and came under the strong disapproval of God by being disconnected from him. This old law was destined for sin and death to all and for all who remain under its control. The reason is that these are in all of that old law is destined under the acts and deeds of Satan. They follow the flesh and the flesh controls their actions. From this disconnection, came the 17 works of the flesh, which were the results of the three basic flaws in mankind. Two of these were directed in man's own lust, the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh. One of them is directed from man's ability to rise up in himself, and it's identified as the pride of life. All of these are direct responses to who Lucifer was, what Lucifer did, and how Lucifer exposed his inner desires. Galatians chapter 5 gives us the outline of the works of the flesh. Let's look at verse 16, however. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now what exactly does this verse mean? Well, walk means to go around in the Spirit. Of course, that's the Greek rendering, to tread around or walk around wherever you go, be in the Spirit. Now, if we equate our understanding and our identification with the Spirit as we have seen it, how would we be walking around? We would be in a state of what appeared to be euphoria. All an outward response that outward response would be going on all of the time. We would be in a posture of hands lifted. We would be in a posture of 
feeling-oriented and feeling-directed activities, soul-driven engagement with our world, all done out of the mind, will, and emotions. Now, how do you think that would work out for us in our daily life? We would be of no use in our daily encounters with men. Now, there is a time and a place for worship, praise, and in-depth responses to the God of the universe. And there is a reason for these responses. Yes, there is a place, there is a reason for in-depth worship. When we understand what the meaning of going around or treading around in the Spirit actually is, that will invoke the depth of an internal response. So what is walking, treading, or going around in the Spirit? Now here, in my humble opinion, is where the Pentecostal world came off the rails. The Pentecostal world thought that being in the Spirit was an external stimulus that occurred upon our external being, which resulted in external manifestations. In other words, it was all body and soul oriented. This response was a church response. What I mean by that was it was done in church services, relegated to church services, operated in church services, but it was followed by relatively no spiritual discernment beyond the moment when the, quotes, spirit hit them. Their lives were shallow and lacked anointing unless and until they were actively engaged in the time of sanctuary worship. So, seemingly, they literally walked or tread in and out of the anointing. When the sanctuary was such that this sort of praise and worship was acceptable, they were in the anointing. But when they were out of the sanctuary and out of such a setting where those actions were acceptable, they lived absent of the anointing. They could express this anointing in the comfort of the church house, but outside the church environment, they were not changed, electrified by the influence of the Spirit. So it appears that the Spirit is situational and operates only in certain environments. Under this understanding of the Spirit, that could appear to be very true. Why is that? because they had no understanding of the operation of the inner man. Therefore, all of their interactions would be relegated to a controlled environment. So if the spirit is body and soul oriented, and the spirit is only to be exercised in a controlled environment, then it's unrealistic that we could be able to walk in the spirit on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. But clearly, Paul is directing us to walk in the spirit. So how in the world do we do so? Number one, we must understand the influence of the Christ that is in us. What does this mean? 
It means that the anointing and the presence of Christ operate in us all day, every day. He is expressing all of the seven spirits of God that rested upon him. Now remember, Christ is in you the hope of glory. He is the one to whom the seven spirits of God rested upon. He is the one from whom the seven spirits of God ministered to the poor, the captive, the blind, uh, the bruised, the ones that had lost liberty. These all came from Jesus. So he being in you is expressing all of the seven spirits of God in you that rested upon him. Now, he is also expressing all of the ten inner nature traits as the word, according to John chapter 1, of God, of which John exposed in John chapter 1 directly to us. Those inner nature traits are he is eternal, he is personal, he is creator, he is life, he is light, he is illumination, he is salvation, he is glory, he is grace, and he is truth. From this concept, we recognize Jesus Christ as the everlasting God, as he had all of the eternal nature traits because he was the word of God. From these spirits, we can identify now how God thinks, how God expresses himself, and how God acts. So we identify the 10 inner nature traits that were in Jesus Christ and the seven spirits of God that rested upon him. So the eternal everlasting God, Jesus Christ, has the nature traits. The seven spirits of God that rested upon him are there specifically to define, develop, and train man's inner man so that man who has become everlasting because of believing on Jesus Christ, he has inherited eternal life from the everlasting God can have these inner traits so that he now can know how God thinks, how God expresses himself, and how God acts. And these inner traits come, can come out of his inner man. Now from the ten inner nature traits, we receive all of the eternal attributes that were in, on, and upon the word of God. They were in him. Now watch this. They were in him. The seven spirits of God rested upon him. And the Holy Spirit sat on him. We need to understand that. Now remember, the word was made flesh. And in his inner man contained these eternal and everlasting attributes. Both of these are essential for us to identify with. They place our inner man on the spiritual plane that equals the status of Jesus. They're a product of redemption. But when operated in, they meet the standard of righteousness that has been provided for us by Jesus Christ, our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Number two, all of our offerings must be completed based upon the first fact. Our worship, praise, power, and demonstration 
must be an inward operation that manifests itself in the external world. Our worship, praise, power, and demonstration must be an inward operation that manifests itself in the external world. See, where we fell off the rails, we had an external stimulus that caused an external manifestation because it brought, and it, and it brought to us an external demonstration, all external, all driven out of the soulish realm. Our worship, our praise, and our demonstration has to manifest itself from the inward operation, and then it is revealed in the external world. The origin of interaction comes from the expression of thought and the thought process of being children of God and joint heirs with Jesus. The origin of interaction comes from the expression of the thought process of being children of God and joint heirs with Jesus. The eternal and everlasting man that has been developed in our inner man by the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus bears witness. Now, our inner man, our spirit, which is the candle of the Lord, bears witness with the eternal and everlasting man who resides in us, and then we worship his magnificent nature, character, and traits because we are able to act like God, express ourselves like God, and think like God. Number three, there is no external influence upon the internal affairs of Christ in you. When we walk in the Spirit, there is no need for external inspiration. We look inwardly and locate the God of the universe and His Son. This recognition then grows a response. Here is one of the things that I don't think the church world understands about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ, our man, in the Godhead's means and method to communicate directly to you and through you what are his thoughts, actions, expressions, and ideas that come from the throne room that would lead you and guide you into all truth, reprove you, encourage you, show you things to come, and give you things to speak. So when we deny the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are actually eliminating, excluding the ability of Jesus Christ, our man in the Godhead's opportunity to speak directly to us concerning the supplying of every need. We are excluding that because the mechanism whereby he chose and taught to do so is the Holy Spirit. Now, when we are able to look inwardly and locate the God of the universe and His Son, there may be, and probably will be, a response. What is that response going to be? It'll be a song of joy, praise, blessing, or adoration. These may arise from the recognition of what is in you, not from the recognition of what is stimulating you from the external world. I go to so many churches and I watch... Uh, leadership in music. And it often astounds me how into it the musicians are until such time that their part of the planned performance is over. 
Then they go back and sit in their chair and have not a word to say concerning the Word of God. All external stimulus. Nothing coming out of them internally. All wrapped around the music and the beat, but nothing wrapped around the fact that Christ is in you. When you understand that Christ is in you, in your inner man, manifesting from you because your love, His love, and the Father's love have met a balance in your inner man, a song of joy and praise and blessing and adoration is going to arise from you because of what's in you. Remember when they saw the Lamb in Revelation 5 and they identified who He was? what he was doing in the earth and what he was taking, uh, that he was taking the book from the hand of him that sat upon the throne. After they saw this, after they had internalized what it was he was doing, then they began to sing a new song. Number four, understand this. We must look for the things that Jesus promised us in John fourteen twenty one. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he that keepeth them. He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now watch this. He will manifest from the inner dwelling. This manifestation will be a representation of his love for us. That's critical that you understand that. When Jesus Christ sent salvation into the earth, lifted up to draw all men unto me, and began to live on the inside of you, drawing out of you, using you to draw men to himself, he was exposing love. When he began to manifest what was in him, which were the ten nature and attributes, what was upon him, which was the seven spirits of God, and then what sat on him, which was the Holy Spirit, and he began to minister that and manifest that to you. Out of you comes rivers of living water, rivers of truth, rivers of, of ministry, this manifestation is all a representation of his love. For God so loved the world that he gave so that man could have the ten attributes, character traits, and nature of God in him, the seven spirits of God upon him, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit to sit on him. Now all of this, my friend, alters our prayer and our meditation. Jesus said that the Father loves us and He loves us and He manifests Himself to us. So in order to walk in the Spirit, we must focus our prayer and our meditation on the Christ that dwells in us. We must focus what we're doing on what is on the inside of us. All of the attributes of God, the, the traits, the inner nature of God is in you. Why? Because Christ is in you. And John said he was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was made flesh. All of that is in you. All of the development and training that your inner man needs is uh, uh, upon you from the seven spirits of God. Now, 
Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, knows the operation of heaven because Paul said he was our man in the Godhead bodily. So, if he is in the Godhead bodily, and he is with the believer in, quotes, in the inner man, then all of the operations of heaven are as close to you, all of the nature, traits, and character of God, all of the seven spirits of God, and if you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, all of the ministry works of the Holy Spirit reside in you, on you, and upon you. Glory to God. What a revelation. Our emphasis must change now from the concept of a God that is way up there in the heavens beyond the blue in a place that someday we're going to live to a God that resides on the inside of us that will one glad morning take our righteous inner man and we will be where he is and be fashioned one glad day in a body that is like unto his, Jesus Christ's glorious body. What a wonderful thought. We must look, pray, and think and act in real time while we're interacting with Christ in our inner man. We must walk in real time, in interaction with Christ in our inner man. This, my friend, is how we walk in the Spirit. Now remember, he is the seven horns and the seven eyes sent into the world to perfect those whose spirit was made perfect. These spirits are going to and fro for this purpose. So the inner man in contact with the spirit man is the means for allowing the outer man to walk in the Spirit. Christ manifests himself in the inner man with our spirit and directs our outer man by manifesting himself during our engagement with the world. No wonder he could say with such confidence in John 16, 33, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Certainly he could because he knew that his ten character traits and God nature traits would reside in you because when you accepted Christ, he would be in you. He knew that the seven spirits of God would train and develop your inner man. They would be upon you because he was in the inner man. And he also knew that the Holy Spirit that sat upon him was going to be given and provided for you and it would sit upon you so that you could continue to do and teach the things that he began to continue and do. So certainly, he could say, be of good cheer. Now why? Because he has overcome the world. And he is in you. And if he is in you, on you, and upon you, you can walk in his spirit, not yours, but his. Your spirit, according to Romans 8, will balance, will come together with His Spirit. What's going to happen? Well, you're going to be in good cheer while you overcome the world. This is a secret, friends, that's been allowed to let lay dormant by the Christian world. This is precisely how the inner man affords the outer man the abilities 
to navigate a world that is steeped in sin and do so with courage, comfort, and confidence. How will this walk prevent you from fulfilling the lusts of the flesh? Well, we'll live to the indwelling Christ and not to the influence of the outer world. Many desire to give us a way to sin and often live in sin and tell us that we have a sin nature that's too strong for us to handle. Therefore, he canceled our sin debt, and by believing upon him, our complete sin, past, present, future is canceled. And of course, this in theory and concept is true. He canceled the sin debt, but not for the purpose of our freedom to live outwardly in sin. Paul expresses this in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 7 by the resounding statement of God forbid then in Galatians 2.21, he said we must not frustrate the grace of God. The reasons we struggle with the sin nature is because we've not been taught and do not understand the relationship that Christ has concerning your inner man and that he can be in you, on you, and upon you in the inner man. The reason we build doctrinal walls that insulate man in his sin is because we do not understand that Christ, Christ, I said, the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus is living, dwelling, and abiding in us. Now how can sin and Christ who died for sin occupy the same dwelling? Jesus said it could not be done. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Your inner man cannot be driven by the spirit of sin and the spirit of love. It will not work. He further said these words in Mark 3, 27. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his goods. So it is impossible for the strong man, who is Satan, to remain with the possessions of his goods. In this case, the goods are controlled of the inner man. If he encounters a man who has the strength and power to bind the man who controls the goods, who once had control... And then that stronger man seizes and plunders his goods. Well, he spoiled his house. No, now, now I want to ask you, can the one who was once in control, who we know as Satan, be given a guest room in the same house of which he was expelled because he controlled it and he... Uh, uh, was a disservice to it? No, we can't give a guest room to the devil. Jesus said that these two spirits cannot abide in the same dwelling. According to modern theology and doctrine, however, he can. God and Satan can indwell the same body. According to Jesus Christ, our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead, he, Satan, cannot dwell in the same place as the man in the Godhead. So why does it seem that he's doing exactly what Jesus said he cannot? Because we have not been exposed to the possession of our inner man by the stronger one. Do you remember this scripture in 1 John 4 and 4? You're of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he 
that is in you than he that is in the world. Look what he said. He said, you have overcome them. Who is the them for which there is a greater one living in you? The them is all of the power of Satan that attempts to reunite the house from which they were expelled. Now, of course, we know this story coming up. Luke 11, 21 through 26. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. They've been gathered. Now, I want you to gather on this, the importance of this statement. When a strong man armed, 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 keepeth his palace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all of his armor wherein he trusteth and divideth his spoils. The reference here is to the work of Jesus Christ. We have armed the strong man to keep the palace because we do not understand the workings of the inner man and what is supposed to be happening by the Christ in you who is in you, on you, and upon you. So, in verse 22, the stronger man comes and overcomes him, takes away his armor. The reference here is to Jesus Christ and his work upon the spirit man. He, Jesus said, that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. The man upon whom the stronger man has not prevailed upon in his inner man is against the very strong man to whom often they say they believe. And then he goes about and broadcasts his sin. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house, house whence I came. Notice the unclean spirit. Where was it? Where had it gone? It had gone out of a man. It had been expressed from the one who finds the stronger man, Jesus Christ. Now that same spirit that's gone out of him, however, is lurking and seeking whom he may devour. This devouring may be to resurface in the life of the one to whom he was cast out of. His idea is to go back where he was accepted and where he was comfortably in control. Now remember what Jesus said in verse 22. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. Well, that as well resides to you and me. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. When a strong man is armed, what is he armed with? The knowledge of the strength of the strong man who delivered him in the first place. That's why the Word of God said that when you're tempted, above that you're able to bear, God will make a way of escape. How do we know this strong man? Well, we're armed with Him. Where are we armed with Him in our inner man? How are we armed with Him? By the ten nature traits of God from John chapter 1. We're armed with the seven spirits of God being upon us. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, the fear of the Lord, and good judgment. We're armed with that, my friend. And then we should be armed for ministry by the, the Holy Spirit sitting upon us to exhibit and express the seven ministry traits of wisdom, knowledge, discernment of spirits, faith, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. My friends, listen to that. Listen to the ten plus nine plus seven. My Lord, that's 26 heavenly traits that God has provided and produced in us 
from the Christ who is in us. There are 17 works of the flesh. There are nine fruit of the Spirit. So now we're up to 35 divine, heavenly-oriented traits that allow us to thoroughly overcome. So it's no wonder Jesus said, Be of good cheer, for I have overcome. What have we been armed with? We've been armed with ten traits, seven spirits, nine fruits, and nine gifts. My God, we're powerful people and we don't even know it. If we knew it, our palace could be kept in peace. We live and look to the strong man for our directions, my friend, for our directions and instructions. Cheer and prosperity are the outcome of this understanding. So is that all there is to it? No. The devil in many is many things, but he's not a quitter. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. He sees what's been done, so the enemy is always going to intensify his attack. Then goeth he and taketh with him. Now here we have in verse 26, the man that does not understand what is the requirement in his inner man, what has been done in his inner man. Because now all of a sudden, he finds it garnished, but he goes back where he came from and takes seven more spirits and attacks him even more harshly. And they enter back into him and dwell there. How could that be? Because the individuals do not understand the refining, the purging, and the cleansing of the inner man. And when they don't find that, they become vulnerable and susceptible to the attacks of the devil. The man who was delivered and made free by the force of the strong man didn't keep the palace armed. And therefore, his goods were not in peace. The answer to this is easy and clear. The man didn't take care of his inner man. The man didn't take care of his inner man. The first man placed an emphasis on the making sure that the freedom he was provided with was maintained at all costs. The second man did not. The first one identified with the presence of the strong man and kept his palace in peace. The second one did not. He identified with the presence of devils who were working in him. My friend, I want to tell you something in closing today. You need to take a hard look at this life in the inner man. Because in life in the inner man, there are ten traits of God that are in you. There are seven spirits of God that are upon you. There are nine gifts of the Spirit that are on you. From the ten eternal traits of the everlasting God flow the fruit of the Spirit that is life-transforming. But we don't know it. So therefore we live daily in the struggle of our sin nature. I challenge you, download this, Listen to it over and over and over. I'm doing a series right now that I'm sharing with you through this podcast that you need to take close heed to because the development of the inner man is the secret to spiritual rooting and grounding, to spiritual overcoming, and to your physical man being able to manifest the life and works of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the word of God. Bless and keep, I pray, those that hear. Uplift us. Give us great grace.
May your influence be in us, on us, and upon us. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, our high priest, Lord, and God. God bless you until we speak again.